Good day, everyone. Welcome to the CSU Relentless Gardener podcast. I am Colorado State University horticulture agent, Linda Langelo. And joining me today is Dr. Tony Koski, CSU Extension Turfgrass Specialist from the Horticulture and Landscape Architecture Department. Now let's get to the heart of it, where we are discussing issues with our turf that we are facing in this drier climate. Welcome, Tony. Great to be here, Linda. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, sure. Glad to have your advice and pick your brain. So, Tony, what can we do with this dry winter and dry spring? What are the best cultural practices that you can tell us about to keep our turf healthy? Yeah, well, there were a lot, a lot of lawn problems coming out of this winter, uh, probably more than I've seen in my 30 plus years at CSU. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the quality of irrigation systems. So, in, in my opinion, a lot of turf uh, that had irrigation coverage problems went into the winter drought stressed. And then uh, the cold, dry, windy, low humidity winter uh, really caused kind of a, a freeze drying and killed a lot of grass. And a lot of times you could, you can look at those areas. And then if you did something like a little irrigation on it, which is just some catch cans on those spots, those areas that died over the winter were the ones that did not have good irrigation coverage the previous year. So, you know, so with those areas being dead, um, certainly you want to do some reseeding or maybe residing. And what I always tell people though, is the reason it died in the first place is because of poor irrigation coverage. So getting grass to grow in those areas um, really requires addressing the irrigation system problems uh, first. Get those things fixed and then you can go about doing some seeding or sodding or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, some of those areas may have died also from, uh, we, we have this strange insect called the cranberry girdler which is really a, it's basically, it's a webworm, like a sod webworm, except the caterpillar lives underground instead of feeding on the leaves, it feeds on the roots of grasses. And that's, that little rascal starts in the, uh, oh, kind of late summer, fall causing damage. And sometimes the damage is somewhat subtle and people really don't notice it. Um, but again, it's, it's chewing the root system, which, further you know, causes problems with water uh, uh, uptake in the plant. Then if you go into the winter, you have a dry winter, cold winter, those areas get finished off. So, um, so we saw a lot of places in the spring that didn't green up and it was because of damage done the previous year by, by cranberry girdler. Um, and we saw some areas where just grubs, um, you know, closer along the front range here, there we have Japanese beetle causing problems, but also mass chafer, which is their, their native uh, uh, grubs have caused some damage. Um, so there were, you know, any number of reasons that uh, uh, we saw turf damage coming out of the winter. Um, in most cases that, that turf was, was probably killed. Uh, turf grass mites also, which are a perennial spring problem here. Right. Cause some of those problems. So, um, you know, I mean, the key is, is it really dead? And if it hasn't greened up by this point, I would say that grass is not going to green up. So then 
then then you have to proceed with um, kind of that renovation, that reseeding, residing uh, uh, process. And that's it's exactly uh, what you know that dry winter, the freezing, and everything. And I think the sod webworm is what got a couple sections in my lawn, but there are also hot spots where they don't get enough water. They don't get the right coverage. And so what I did for, for mine, since it was sort of at the edge of my property in the back and it's fenced in, which probably makes it even drier and hotter anyway, I decided I tilled it and started more of the vegetable garden. So that was my answer. But for other folks, you know, what types of uh, turf grass, now that we're looking at, you know, these, these dry days and high temperatures of 104, what, what would you recommend to reseed or sod? Yeah. Well, maybe, I mean, so if it's just spots in your lawn, from a purely aesthetics perspective, you really kind of want to match what's already there. So other, otherwise it's going to kind of stick out like a sore thumb. Um, if you start putting tall fescue sod into a bluegrass lawn, um, you know, a, a lawn that's hundred percent tall fescue looks beautiful, but when you just have certain areas of a lawn in different species like that, it can, it, it just can look a little strange to people. Now, some people would take this as an opportunity to renovate their lawn and say, I want to, I'm, I'm, since half of it died or whatever, I'm going to change it to something else. And so then that's where you can think about, you know, do I want to put something really drought resistant and low water like buffalo grass in? Or do I want to, maybe you've had a really old lawn and those were old bluegrasses. You know, the new bluegrasses, the new tall fescues are much better than they were 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Um, so it's an opportunity to put, you know, better, better varieties, um, uh, more disease resistant, more drought tolerant, those type of things. So, you know, so in a hot situation, you can look at what we call the Texas hybrid uh, bluegrasses. And these are crosses between Kentucky bluegrass and Texas bluegrass. Uh, they're very, it's a very heat uh, tolerant type of a bluegrass. It otherwise looks like Kentucky bluegrass. People really can't tell it from regular Kentucky bluegrass. And there are a number of our sod growers are, are in the state are growing those Texas hybrids. Um, you can get seed for the Texas hybrids. Um, it's, it's a little more difficult to get. It's not a real high demand thing. And those Texas hybrids have never been good seed producers for the farmers that grow Texas bluegrass. So that's kind of a, a, a conundrum, if you will, if the grass doesn't produce seed, Farmers don't want to grow it, so then we don't have it to buy. And so it can be hard to find those Texas hybrids, but they, they can be really good, very heat tolerant. Maybe not, it, they use about the same amount of water really as a regular Kentucky bluegrass, but they'll tolerate the heat a whole lot better. Then there's turf type tall fescue, which is a very heat tolerant grass. And they're, the tall fescues these days look like bluegrass. Most people cannot tell them from bluegrass, but it's, uh, Tall fescue is very heat tolerant, pretty salt tolerant too. So sometimes people, especially out your way, will have uh, maybe a little bit of salt in their irrigation water. Tall fescue will tolerate that much better than bluegrass will. Um, 
then there is, you know, there's there's a, a you know, buffalo grass, blue grama, which we're native and are native out where you live. And those can be great lawn grasses too. Um, this is the time of year you want to start them. So that's one of the things you probably wouldn't want to, I mean, you could, you could start a bluegrass or golf fescue lawn now. The seed will certainly germinate as hot as it is, um, but it's a stressful time of year to be starting those cool season grasses. Whereas blue gram and buffalo, this is when you want to plant them. You want to seed them. You want them to get going in the heat of summer and you want them to be fairly mature going into their first winter. Otherwise they can winter kill as well, even though they're natives. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of those decisions. Do I, you know, want to do blue grama buffalo grass? They're not going to look like blue grass, no matter what people read about them. Um, but those are certainly viable options if you're going to do a, a total lawn renovation. And you know, another option is um, Bermuda grass, which you say that name is strikes fear in some people's hearts because they come from the south where Bermuda grass was. Kind of a weed and actually it can be a weed here too um, and there's some really ugly gnarly bermuda grass around but there's some very good turf type bermuda grasses around as well and so some of our saw growers or actually one only one that i know of now is uh, is growing um, quite a bit of uh, bermuda grass um, uh, grass that's so pretty you would not believe that it's bermuda grass um, and so, uh, so we're starting to see more interest in Bermuda grass here. The Plant Select program has one called Dog Tough um, Bermuda grass, and it, it can perform okay. Um, it, it probably wouldn't be my choice for a Bermuda grass lawn, but it it can produce a fairly good Bermuda grass lawn. Um, and with the Bermudas, there's no seed for them really, so you have to plant them either as sod, which can be really expensive or as what we call plugs um, or sometimes sprigs. Um, but um, so it's harder to find the, the Bermuda grass, um, but it could be an option as well too. Um, you know, the thing to remember with Bermuda grass, buffalo grass, blue grama is that they're gonna be dormant really whenever the first frost comes in the fall and until uh, sometime in, uh, in May in most parts of Colorado. Um, so you, know, you got May, June, July, August, maybe part of September where those grasses are green. The rest of the year, they're gonna be brown. Um, so for some people, that's fine. Yeah. It's green during the time of year when you want your lawn to be green and but others, it's not a long enough green season. So yeah, so there's some, some good options out there uh, for doing a, a full lawn renovation redo. So for the, uh, the, the, the Bermuda dog tops is does that require more regular watering to get it started if you're using plugs in the first season? Yeah, and you know, in any any kind of renovation, I always tell people that first year, I don't care if you're planting bluegrass, buffalo grass, Bermuda grass, dog tuff grass, that first year, don't be looking at that as the year you're going to save water. You're gonna, you have to put water on any new plant material, even if it's a native like buffalo or blue grama. Um, so it's the next year, the years after it's established is when you might save water with a, a dog tough or a buffalo or blue grama kind of, kind of a lawn. So yeah, don't skimp, as, especially as expensive as those plugs are, 
They're expensive. You do not want those plugs to be dying. So don't skimp on the water in that, that first growing season. Okay. Okay. I, I know, you know, it gets so hot and, and, and people are like, you know, they, they cringe at the, the water bill coming in. Yep. To, yeah. But, you know, if you want a nice lawn, you, you have to do certain things at certain times to have that nice lawn and to keep it. Yeah. And just to reiterate also, make sure your irrigation system is operating as well and as uniformly as you can before you plant the new seed, new sod, new plugs, whatever you're planting, because you don't want those hot spots where the stuff doesn't grow. Then you got to go in and patch those areas up. So, right. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and if you have a big lawn, like I do a lot and a half, you really, you want yep. everything to work right. Yep. Exactly. So Tony, are there any other tips that you would recommend, uh, for people to have and keep a healthy turf this summer? Yeah, well, um, I mean, mowing height is always uh, important. Uh, the, the taller you can mow the grass, the, the healthier its root system is gonna be. So that you just use water more efficiently and keeps the soil cooler and all that type of thing. Um, and you get fewer weeds too, and with the, the taller mowing height. So, so that's really important. Again, uniform irrigation, when you do water, you wanna do it as uniformly as possible. Um, you know, for, fertilizer wise, um, you know, enough to keep the quality and keep the growth, but over fertilizing only increases, uh, you know, the amount of mowing you have to do and the amount of water you have to apply and too much fertilizer can make the grass less drought resistant. So, um, so yeah, moderation, Moderation is the key when it comes to fertilizer, not too much, not too little. Um, you know, and those are, you know, it's just, you know, kind of the, the common management practices are really important that you not get away from, you know, mow too short or all those type of things. So good tips, Tony. I've had a couple of clients that had their son or daughter getting married like July and August and they asked a company to come in and the, the company fertilized. And I guess they, they were asked to either water really well before and or wait for a period after. And somehow in the aftermath, it burned, it burned the turf. And so, you know, here you're having a home wedding and you have a brown lawn. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Fertilizing this when it's, you know, 90, 95, 100, you, you got to get water on it within sometimes minutes, depending on the fertilizer source, especially if it's a liquid company, because they're spraying salt essentially on the leaves of the grass. And if you don't wash that stuff off, like really quickly, you're going to get a lawn that's brown, not dead, but that doesn't happen if your wedding's the next day. So, yeah. Exactly. And that's an exact, that's exactly what happens. So, Yep. Well, thank you, Tony, for joining me. And a big thank you to the audience for listening. Tune in next time when we get to the heart of the matter on another horticultural topic. <laughs>